Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On this edition of Primetime Politics, the Prime Minister promises new border measures, but not the reopening of the Canada-US land border, not yet. Our MPs look at the second last week of Parliament with a motion of censure against the Defence Minister and a finding of contempt of Parliament for not releasing documents about a security breach at Canada's top security microbiology lab. And our journalist panel will weigh in on the Green Party leader, Annamie Paul's continuing internal troubles with her own party. But well, we start with the announcement from Prime Minister Trudeau that the Canada-U.S. land border will remain closed to all but non-essential travel for the next month. But that next week, the government will announce the first loosening of quarantine restrictions for fully vaccinated Canadians returning to Canada. We are working on two tracks in terms of uh, proof of vaccination for Canadians who wish to travel. Uh, first of all, in the initial uh, phase, we're going to be working uh, with the ArriveCan app in ways that people can upload uh, an image of their uh, paper proof of vaccination or online proof of vaccination so that uh, the border agents on their return to Canada uh, can verify indeed uh, that they are fully vaccinated. Uh, that's something that we will have in place uh, in the coming weeks so that people can have uh, a few more options if they're fully vaccinated this summer. But uh, for the fall, in the medium term, uh, we are working with the provinces to establish uh, a national uh, certification of vaccination status uh, that will be easily accepted around the world for people who, who need to travel internationally. Uh, and that will involve uh, working together with the provinces because the provinces, of course, have uh, your health data and your vaccination status. Uh, and we want to make sure we're both protecting privacy and protecting jurisdictions, but getting a clear federal uh, notification that other countries can see that we have uh, that you've been fully vaccinated. So that's what we're working on for the medium term. Uh, but there is a solution for the coming weeks through the ArriveCan app. Joining me now are three MPs from the different parties. Arif Arani is a parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Justice and Liberal MP for the Toronto area riding of Parkdale High Park. James Cummings is a Conservative economic recovery critic. He's the MP for Edmonton Centre. And Peter Julian is the NDP House Leader and Finance Critic. He's the MP for New Westminster Burnaby. All three of you, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Good to be here. Okay, Arif Rani, let's start with this. We heard the Prime Minister today making an announcement on the Canada-U.S. land border. It's going to remain closed for all but essential traffic for, the, for another month. But he says there will be announcements, details coming on Monday, about some loosening of restrictions for double-vaccinated Canadians arriving in Canada. What do you say to Canadians who are saying that it's taking too long to come up with a system of vaccine certification? People getting very impatient. Well, I, what I'd say to Canadians is that uh, we appreciate their patience, uh, but I'd also say to Canadians that we're now actually in, we have a, a happy new problem, which is that the fact that the vaccine rollout is going faster than we originally thought. We originally said every Canadian would have access to a, a double dose by the end of September. It now looks like we will have 70 million vaccines on the ground by the end of July, which is staggering in terms of speeding it up by two months. But that obviously builds in a new set of problems, new set of questions, which is simply that once you have a, a second dose vaccinated, 
vaccinated population or the majority of it second dose vaccinated. What does that mean in terms of movement, including movement across the border? But it also encouraged Canadians to think about the global nature of this pandemic. We take a lot of cues from what we're seeing in other parts of the world. We know that there have been some easing of restrictions in Britain, for example. And now because of the Delta variant taking hold in that country, they are retrenching and uh, coming back to a position where they're imposing more strict measures. So we're being cautious because we want this to be the final sort of set of measures. So we're taking a prudent approach with respect to the border. Okay, just briefly, one of the questions at the press conference was that the the forecasts appear that Public Health uh, Agency of Canada said that a lot of the one of the barometers is us receive, us arriving at 75% first vaccination, 25% second vaccination, and there'll be a lot of reopening. A lot of people are saying we're going to arrive at that in within two weeks, and yet there seems to be no plan for widespread double vaccination certification until the fall. How do you respond to that? So I think. Th- there are things in the works in terms of sort of preparing sort of uh, best information and best practices for uh, the both documentation that relates to double vaccination, but also guidance and best practices as to what should be the best okay. m- model of behavior. And I think you're going to see that, and that's been telegraphed. We were making an announcement on Monday in that regard. We've also heard the Prime Minister say that for people who are double-dose vaccinated, the notion of the hotel-based quarantine will be removed from the equation for people who have been and can prove that they've been double-dose vaccinated. Okay, James Cummings, your reaction to what you heard and what you didn't hear today? Well, it's typical of what we've heard often from the government is that they're making an announcement on a Friday and details to follow. And, you know, that's frustrating. That's frustrating for Canadians. That's frustrating for businesses. They've had for over a month an expert panel making recommendations and, and it's taken over a month for them to start to consider some of those recommendations. So, you know, listen, people want to get their lives back to normal. I understand that there's a flood of vac- uh, uh, vaccines coming into the country. But again, uh, the government was slow out of the gate with vaccines. And that's why we've got this delayed program. The businesses that I talk to, they desperately want to see us get back to some sense of normalcy. And they like and they like some form of consistency. They like to see a plan so they, they can plan and they can start to bring their staff back. They can't just do it on overnight. They need a little bit of planning, and they would like to see this government put out a plan rather than an announcement on Friday and details to come. Okay, Peter Julian, the NDP's take on this. Um, The government is saying that there's a lot of negotiations, uh, harmonization to be done with provinces who have the provincial data banks of people who are vaccinated. I I think that's fair. I I think at the same time, and we've been pushing uh, throughout this crisis, the government to act more promptly. We we are certainly behind our our major allies in terms of having fully vaccinated Canadians. Uh, It is important to note that there are variants out there. And so I, I think the prudence is important. I also think that the planning and making sure that the public is aware is equally important. And that's where the government seems to fall short often in terms of actually rolling things out and knowing, uh, letting Canadians know what the next steps are. So I, I am hopeful that they will uh, provide further detail next week. That's important uh, for uh, a whole range of Canadians and, and certainly for border communities across the country. Okay, I want to move to another issue which came up. This has been a very busy uh, second last week of, of this sitting of Parliament, but uh, this, uh, well, yesterday on Thursday, the House voted to find the head of the Public Health Agency of Canada, Dr. Ian Stewart, in contempt of Parliament for not releasing documents to the Commons China Committee, the Commons Canada China Committee, concerning the firing, firing of two Chinese scientists who breached security at the Winnipeg National Microbiology Laboratory. Mr. Stewart, 
Stewart has been summoned to appear in the House of Commons before the bar of the House of Commons. Uh, Referani, is the Prime Minister going to allow and instruct or encourage uh, Mr. Ian Stewart, head of the Public Health Agency of Canada, to deliver those documents to Parliament? So thank you for the question. And I think what's important for Canadians to understand, particularly those people watching, is that the documents that the opposition have been seeking have been provided to something called NSICOP, the National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians. That's made up of members from all different parties who have right. very high-level security clearance. Those documents have been provided in an unredacted format to those parliamentarians in, in that sensitive manner because national security is a sensitive issue. Uh, I'm not going to speak on behalf of uh, Mr. Stewart in terms of his actions at this point, but the notion of accountability to a, a set of parliamentarians has been achieved okay. by a full and transparent disclosure. Okay, I'm going to interrupt you because, okay, Rifani, uh, just in the interest of saving time, though, I will cut to the chase. Um, uh, notwithstanding the National Security and Intelligence Committee, the Speaker of the House of Commons, Anthony Rota, a Liberal MP, uh, has ruled this week that that doesn't suffice, that the House of Commons specifically asks that these documents be given to the Canada-China Special Relations Committee, or uh, Relations Committee, that the uh, National Security and Intelligence Committee does not constitute what was asked for by an order of Parliament. Are you saying that the Prime Minister and the government should instruct Mr. Stewart not to abide by the order of the Speaker and the House of Commons? I'm not purporting to give instructions to Mr. Stewart or to the Public Health Agency of Canada. What I'm indicating is that what I think your viewers need to understand is that this has been turned into a sort of crass and very partisan political game when you have members of the official opposition declaring that they're going to resign from the National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians because they simply don't deem that sufficient. I think that demonstrates quite amply that materials have been provided in an unredacted format, providing the transparency that needs to be provided to all parties of, this, of the House of Commons. And that is not sufficient because of the political objectives of the official opposition at this stage when they believe we are heading into a summer just prior to an election. Okay, James Cummings, how do you respond to that? That has been the accusation from the government uh, for the duration, and that is that the, the National uh, Security and Intelligence Committee is a committee made up of dealing with top-secret documents. Uh, at committee today, uh, Dr. Ian Stewart was saying that he's concerned that these are classified documents, um, that the, the documents have been delivered to that committee, and what's wrong with that committee? Well, let's deal with the facts, that that's a committee that reports to the Prime Minister. It doesn't report to Parliament. So that's a fact. The other fact is the way the motion reads is that the documents were to be provided and the clerk would have the opportunity to redact anything that he, he thought that there'd be a security issue with. And I, and I think the clerk's perfectly competent to do that. You know, this is an order of Parliament. This is an order from the Speaker. And the government should fulfill that. And I, I have confidence in the clerk that anything that would be a security issue would be redacted. And we can get on with this. They should provide the documents. Okay. I don't know what they have to hide. And I, I have no understanding of why they won't uh, uh, comply with the order. Okay, a last question. Peter Julian, it's been suggested that if Mr. Stewart doesn't provide these documents, if the government does not encourage him to provide these documents, if they're not forthcoming, then the next step logically, would be another motion to find the government in contempt of parliament, and that would be a confidence motion. Because in this motion, you didn't mention the, 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 the Minister of Health. Uh, if it ramps up to that, your party has said you don't want to help this government go to election. You don't want to help this government defeat itself. Where do you go if the government refuses to deliver these documents, given that the next logical step would be to find the government, the minister and the prime minister, in contempt of parliament, and that would be a confidence vote? 
Well, I, I think when we look at the liberal spin, where they, where they try to say that um, everybody else is being partisan, the speaker, I imagine they're they're accusing of being partisan for having ruled on the contempt motion. I, they're certainly accusing all of the members of parliament, a vast majority of members of parliament who all voted in, in favor of the of the contempt contempt motion. I mean, th this is a fundamental question of parliamentary rights. This is why we live in a democracy. Right. And it's surprising to me that liberals are not uh, defending that. And, and, and it's unclear at this point to what extent the liberals actually, the liberal government gave direction. OK, uh, but I guess in a word, the question now all, comes down to, it does come down well, to, uh, we're almost out of time, we but does it come down to, will, will this go to a vote of confidence then? Uh, well, we'll see what happens on Monday. The direction is very clear. It's very serious uh, for, for Mr. Stewart to violate the contempt order. Uh, it's very clear that the documents need to be provided, and it's obviously in the public interest to do so. Okay, so I want hopefully to... uh, cooler, cooler minds, less partisan minds than what we have in the Prime Minister's office will prevail. Okay, I want to thank all three of you. I know we're short on time, but I want to thank you, and obviously we'll be watching this with great interest. Thank you very much, all three of you. You're thank welcome. You. Well, joining me now for reaction from Canada's business community to the Prime Minister's announcement on border measures is Jean Charest. Monsieur Charest is a former Quebec Premier, former Federal Minister and leader of the Federal Conservative Party. He's now an international trade lawyer and a member of the Task Force on Public Health and the Canada-U.S. border. Monsieur Charest, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Martin. Uh, I'd like to get your reaction to what you heard from the Prime Minister today. Well, it's disappointing uh, in the sense that we're just uh, going to prolong for another month. And at, at the point at which we are now, with a high percentage of people vaccinated on both sides of the border and with people being completely vaccinated, more and more of them, which means two vaccines, uh, I think we should start reopening. We, uh, we don't have to do it uh, completely in one single swoop, but there should be an allowance for people who have uh, residences on both sides who have businesses and and now's the time to start to do it gradually i think what we're concerned about is that we're, that we're not clear on whether there's a plan to reopen the border and that that's starting to become a real concern for businesses on both sides okay well let's look at that we do know that the prime minister's alluded to monday or sometime after monday there'll be more details on one thing that the health minister has mentioned and that is uh double vaccinated canadians returning to canada or coming back to canada yeah. would be able to skip quarantine measures that supposedly is going to be spelled out but there's supposedly going to be there's not much mention of much more, uh, some essential workers who already are crossing the border. What do you make of that, of what, you've, what we do know will be announced? Well, what we've had is, you know, a monthly uh, continuation from month to month. And, and merchandise has been traveling, which is good. And that's worked fairly well. Essential workers, truckers, that's worked well. People who are delivering essential services. But now, after a year, Martin, there's an effect on people and businesses. There's a cumulative effect of closing the border. And I'm thinking in particular of the tourism industry, hospitality industry, who are, are going to suffer a lot from the fact that we even, we're not even able to open, you know, for people who are vaccinated, have due doses, who have houses, who have, that's the kind of thing that uh, I think business would like to see. The government starting to move in that direction as opposed to just continuing month uh, after month of closing the border. There's some suggestion, the Prime Minister talked about sort of a two times, two measures here. One, immediate measures concerning, we think, just Canadians returning uh, to Canada. And another measure, which he says is he's putting in the fall. 
for uh, people with double vaccination. Um, what do you think is taking so long for the government to develop a system? He was given a hard time by some reporters at the, the, the uh, press conference today. What's taking so long, from what you're hearing from business people, obviously you've been consulted as well, what's taking so long getting a comprehensive double vaccination certification system in Canada? Well, and you're asking a very good question, especially if we compare ourselves to other jurisdictions, either in Europe or, or elsewhere, where double people who have had the complete vaccinations, two of them, are allowed to come in. And uh, different countries within the European Union have a variance on the rules. But generally, if you have those two vaccinations, you're allowed to go in and, and not have too much of a quarantine if you test uh, negative. So we don't know why. What we do know you know, there's an election campaign on the horizon, Martin. I'm I'm guessing, like everyone else, that uh, this campaign may be started up in August with a vote in September. And I'm guessing maybe the prime minister just doesn't want to have this as an issue during the election campaign. You wouldn't think, though, that he might want to have some good news, like, uh, you know, more widespread uh, border crossing travel? Well, I would hope so. I would hope so. But he's had a lot of pressure from the Ford side of government saying, you know, you should tighten up, even taking out ads in, in, on TV saying you should tighten up the border. I don't know what their sentiment is. I'm told that the majority of provinces, Martin, are now favorable to the opening of the border. And keep in mind, in the case of Canada, uh, you know, 80 percent, easily 80 percent of our population lives within a, 100 kilometers of the American border. So we are very dependent and this uh, on, on American tourism. And this is the sector in our, our economy that has suffered the most from this uh, pandemic and the shutdown of, uh, of our economy. You, um, you alluded to it. Some people are saying they wonder whether the government does have uh, an organized plan for this fall or whether it seem, seem, things seem to be stalling. Well, they seem to be going very gradually. I, it would be a good idea to have a plan and uh, to put it out there and, and to establish conditions. If the prime minister says, listen, we'll do this, this and this. If 75 percent of people are, have a first vaccine and then if we reach the milestone of 40 percent who have two vaccines, we'll do this or that. That would work. And it would give, uh, I think, businesses and Canadians some guidance uh, as far as the border is concerned. In the meantime, again, there's a big, you know, uh, things we can't measure. I mean, the cumulative effect of families being separated, couples uh, separated, friends, uh, businesses. I mean, some of the challenges and the suffering it is causing is having a, a long-term effect on a lot of people. And that's why we need a plan. Okay, Mr. Chagria, thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you, Martin. Bye-bye. Well, joining me now to look at the week in federal politics are two avid political journalists. Tonda McCharles is a parliamentary reporter for the Toronto Star, and Ian Bailey is a member of the Ottawa Bureau of the Globe and Mail. Both of you, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Okay, let's start with something which really, really caught a lot of attention this week, and that is the woes within the Green Party of Canada and Anime Pauls, the national leaders, problems faced with dissension and uh, and real difficulties within her own party. I want to ask you the most general question. What do you make of it and what's at the heart of it? Because there's a lot of different takes on what's going on. Uh, Tonda. 
Well, what I make of it is enemy Paul is in a real uh, power struggle internally to keep her leadership. Um, she's been uh, accused of an arrogant leadership style. Um, and she says that the people who accused her of that are resistant to change are on the way out. Let's see in the coming weeks if she can keep her grip on the party. Um, she was not helped, obviously, by the departure of Jenica Atwin. The Liberals poached Jenica Atwin. I think uh, it's pretty clear by now that because politically she's an asset for them in Fredericton and um, between the two of them, between the Atwin, at one end, the Liberal banner, that seat's going to go Liberal uh, the next time around. It won't go to the Greens, Okay. Uh, should they put someone else up. But I, I just want to say that, you know, what's at the heart of it is really um, broader than just, you know, uh, Annamie Paul's internal struggle. I mean, for her also then to be flinging accusations of racism and anti-feminism and misogynism around widely and broadly, uh, that didn't look good on her. I mean, she's a political leader and she's got to be able to get into the brawl. Okay, I want to ask that question too. Um, but I mean, a, a week ago, what had caught attention was was the ongoing fight over the issue of Israel-Palestine, and Jenica Atwin said that that was one of the things that spurred her departure. There was a comments by Annamie Paul's senior uh, advisor who stepped down, but who had basically threatened the MPs who didn't see eye to eye with Annamie Paul, uh, defeating them in the next election. That was seen as the as one of the main things was this disagreement on the Middle East question. But then uh, Ian, the issue of racism came out and uh, Annamie Paul saying that she is the first Jewish woman and the first black woman to lead a federal political party. She says it wasn't going to be easy and this is about racism. What do you make of that? Well, what I make of this is that this is the worst thing that could happen to the Green Party on the eve of a possible uh, federal election. Um, I make of this that if Miss Paul goes uh, down, if the party loses her as a leader, this could be a very, um, a very, uh, bad fit on the Green Party in this era where there are concerns and interests in diversity. It, it just does not look good. But it remains to be seen how this plays out. You know, it, it occurs to me that if Miss Paul can somehow survive this, ride this out, you know, she has a visibility now, given this mess, given this situation, given attention to it, that may in fact play well for her and for the Greens going ahead. But the Greens, you know, they, they're, 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 they don't poll very highly. They have only a few seats where they're competitive across the country, where they have a shot. Uh, Paul is running in Toronto Centre, which is going to be a really tough fight. So it's, it's a really complicated situation, poorly timed for this party. Yeah, there's the, the fundamental thing, though, too, that reporters have been asking Annamie Paul for the whole week, for three days now, is that the federal council, not the people who've resigned from it, but even the remaining federal council of her party, have asked her to do two things. One is to, to basically distance herself and apologize for the comments from her former senior advisor, Noah, Noah Zatsky, who basically had threatened to help defeat MPs who were not agreeing with her, and also to commit to supporting her two remaining caucus MPs. She's not said what she will do in terms of disowning uh, or, or apologizing for her former senior advisor. How can a party leader continue on uh, and, and, and not distance themselves from an advisor who has threatened MPs, uh, sitting MPs, uh, anyone? Well, I, look, she has said this week that she does support those MPs and she's made clear that uh, she needs their support. Yeah. And frankly, I find it a little, um, I don't know, concerning, I guess, that um, people within her party would ask Annamie Paul, a black Jewish woman, to denunciate and publicly repudiate and denounce 
um, her staffer, who was also Jewish. To me, that smacks of something out of communist China. I, I find that uh, a troubling, you know, call for them. I think they need to get their internal party uh, struggles in order. They do need to uh, figure out what a clear and coherent stance on Israel-Palestine is for the party. And I know this is a party that works on consensus, not, you know, the way we expect traditional parties to work, sort of almost a command and control kind of uh, play. But but I think that, I think that, you, I think Annamie Paul, um, I think, can be forgiven for sort of wondering if that's the way she wants to handle this by public denunciations. I, I, I think that really what some of that stuff needs to be sorted out. And by the way, a lot of it was in play long before yeah. Jenica Atwin got yeah. poached by the Liberals. Okay. Um, okay. Let's move to something else. And I, I, I'd like to get your views on, we have less than two weeks left of the parliamentary sitting and perhaps less than two weeks left of, the par- of this parliament, depending on whether it's a fall election. Uh, this was a week, and most of it happened on Thursday night, where we saw uh, uh, basically a finding of contempt of parliament of the head of the Public Health Agency of Canada and a demand to produce documents. And we saw a motion of censure of the Defence Minister, Hardit Sajjan, both from the majority votes of the House of Commons. Rough and tumble time for the go- government. How is the government doing, or is this just all inside the beltway stuff as we head into a possible election? Ian, what do you make of... Uh, of what we've seen in the last few days. Well, it feels like the election has already started, frankly. Um, the Prime Minister's remarks today about the Conservatives and ele- accusing the Conservatives of obstruction in Parliament and his sort of a two-fisted defense of Defence Minister Sajjad, you know, suggests that, um, you know, the, the government is sort of already putting the pieces in play for their election campaign and their election rhetoric. So, so that's, to me, what it feels like right now. Um, Parliament will be done, I guess, or the sitting of the House will be done and due course, and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out beyond that in the weeks ahead before an election that at this point seems inevitable. Mm-hmm. On that demand of do- producing documents, unredacted documents about these Chinese scientists who were fired from the microbiology lab, uh, that's still outstanding. We have to see what happens on Monday when uh, Ian Stewart is supposed to be at the bar of Parliament to A, produce himself, and B, produce the documents. That's still outstanding. Could that be something that precipitates an election? Because some people have suggested that the opposition parties would have to, to call the government's bluff. If they don't produce the documents, they'd have to have maybe a motion, motion of non-confidence in the government, which we know the NDP doesn't want to do. Do you really think that the, any opposition party wants to go into a campaign telling Canadians that we didn't get the paper we wanted? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, and I think they'll find a way out of it. Um, but look, the fact that the government has been um, censured for this that and that their defense minister has been found in contempt for his handling of a, a matter. Uh, these are these are parliamentary procedures that don't get much attention from Canadians. But on the other hand, it just it's a black mark on their government's record, a government that campaigned the last time on promising to respect parliament and parliamentarians. So it's it's one of those checks that the opposition parties will uh, pronounce on the campaign trail. But fundamentally, I don't, I don't A, think it's going to trigger an election or um, B, stick with uh, many Canadians uh, beyond the partisans, the okay. hardcore partisans. I'm going to put you both on the spot because we may not have a chance to speak until we're into the summer. Uh, Ian, uh, if you had to put a percentage pointage uh, on the probability of a fall election and Parliament not returning, what's your guess? Yeah, I won't hold you to it, of course. 80%. Yeah. Okay. Tonda, we turn to you. Betting odds. 
Well, I, I'm not very good on betting. I often lose, but I would go like full on. They're not, we're not going to be back in a fall parliament. We're going to be in an election in the fall. Okay. This is one of those moments where I say, we're going to take, we're going to keep the tape no, and we will play no, it back no, to you. don't get to do that. <laughs> no, you added an answer. Okay. Well, if we don't speak before we're into the summer, I want to wish you all the best, both of you, a, a happy and healthy summer. You. And thanks for speaking with us. Thank you very much. Thanks, Martin. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Martin Stringer from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks for watching and have a great weekend.